Can we turn, the, as we said, to Psalm 120? And we're going to read from the first verse of the psalm. In my distress, I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given unto thee, or what shall be done unto thee, thou false tongue? Sharp arrows of the mighty with coals of juniper. Woe is me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell in the tents of Kedar. My soul hath long dwelt with him that hateth peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Amen. We know that God again will bless the reading of his precious word to our hearts. Now, I want you to uh, just take note of the title of the psalm there. Hopefully you have a Bible that has the titles in it because that's part of the word of God. But it is called a song of degrees. And that title is not just given to this psalm, but it is given to the 14 psalms that follow it. And these 14 or 15 psalms are described as a hymn book within a hymn book. Uh, The Septuagint version of the Bible, the translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, the Greek, which um, the Lord sometimes quoted, um, would uh, call this uh, a, a song of steps ascending. And sometimes they're called the songs of ascent. Now, the question is, why are they called that? And there have been a few attempts to answer that question. Some have thought that it is because the uh, songs here are sung by a higher choir or in a higher key. It's something to do with the music, something to do with the singers that are singing the psalm. Some would say that this was sung as the children of Israel made their journey from Babylon, that as they journeyed back from Babylon, back to the promised land, back to the uh, city of Jerusalem, that they sung the uh, songs of ascent. Some would say that there were 15 steps that went up to the temple in Ezekiel's vision of the temple there were 15 steps, and so they would say, some of the Jewish authorities would say that uh, they sang one of these psalms on each step as they went up to the temple. The problem with that is that it's Ezekiel's temple, um, which has not yet been built, that has the 15 steps. The, the temples that were in the time of the Old Testament, uh, the physical temples, didn't have 15 steps. So that sort of rules that one out, I think, really, anyway. And then there's the one that I favor, and I don't have time to go into why I favor it, but um, I believe that it is these uh, psalms, these songs of ascent or songs of degrees, were sung by the pilgrims every year as they went up to the feasts in Jerusalem. Every year the people would have gone to the great feast, the Peace of Feast of Passover and Pentecost and Tabernacles. And with that in mind, sometimes these psalms are known as psalms of pilgrimages. And they're well named because they are solemn uh, religious occasions in which the people would have uh, gone up year by year to the temple. Of course, the Passover is the greatest of these. And we know that the 
people of God went up every year at least to the temple. We read in Luke chapter 2, for example, about how the Lord and his parents went up to the temple. It says, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. So you can see the way that this was a, a thing that was done every year. And these psalms then, I believe, would have been sung. They're called songs of ascent because Jerusalem was 2,800 or is 2,800 feet above sea level. So no matter how you approach Jerusalem, you had to go up. You went up to Jerusalem. And then you think about the Psalms, and you'll find, as we look at them, that there is, um, they, they, they are, there is the beautiful imagery here, but there is a, a crescendo. There is a growth. There is a, a development as the Psalms go on. So there is um, uh, as it were, as they got closer to Jerusalem and closer to the temple, so the, uh, the worship and the glorifying God uh, increased. We think about the temple. It was the place where God was worshipped. We think of the psalmist who said in Psalm 84, verses 1 and 2, How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts, my soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth for the living God. And here they were, as it were, in Psalm 120, starting out on their journey. But I want you to notice something about Psalm 120. They start out on their journey, and they don't seem to be too happy. Now, we wonder about that because the feasts were happy occasions. The feasts were joyous occasions, and it says in verse 1, In my distress I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. So there is distress here, and the singer probably is in a far distant part of the world from Jerusalem. He's starting out on his journey. He's going to the feast, but he's in distress. But you know there's nothing um, that is... Um, uh, that, that is wrong with that. Because really, as we look at these Psalms, there is a picture of God's people journeying towards our new Jerusalem. And where do we start? We start in a land of distress. We start in a place where there is uh, a land, a veil of tears in this world in which we live. And we start off in distress. And as we journey towards God, we have to have the distress of our sins dealt with. And then also, I want you to notice in the psalm that there is possibly uh, a reference to Antichrist here. If you look at verse 5, it says, Woe is me that I sojourn in Meshech, and I dwell in the tents of Kedar. And in Ezekiel 38 and 39, you will see that the Antichrist is entitled the chief prince of Meshach. And Bishop Horsley made a covenant that the, uh, this is, and I quote, a prayer of a believer for the protection against the atheistical or anti-Christian conspiracy. Now, I think you'll notice the false tongue and the lying, and that's a mark of the devil who's a liar from the beginning. 
We live in a veil of tears. We live in the midst of an atheistical and anti-Christian spirit that has taken place. And so it is worth our while tonight just to look at what the psalmist says in Psalm 120. As he faces such a thing, as he starts his journey towards God, as he starts his journey towards that place where he can meet with God in the temple. And first of all, then, I want you to see the psalmist's distress. Look at what he says in verse 1 again. In my distress, I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. Now, the word distress that is used there is a word that comes from a root word that means narrow or confined or closed in. And you have the picture here of the psalmist here. He, he is the feel, feeling like the walls are coming in upon him, that he has been enclosed, he has been shut in, he hasn't freedom, he's frustrated by the line and deception that is all around it. He's frustrated because of the atheistical, anti-Christian spirit that there is, the anti-God spirit that there is around him. And I want you to see how the psalmist outlines the awful circumstances in which he is placed. And I want you to see that he is reviled. Look at verse 2 and 3. Deliver my soul, he says, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given unto thee, or what shall be done unto thee, thou false tongue? So he's facing this um, campaign of malicious lies that have been made against him. Uh, I wonder if you've ever been lied against. It's not a pleasant thing. It hurts. It's uh, something that's very painful if we're uh, castigated for something that we have actually done or said. Um, it's bad enough. But if we haven't done the thing or if we haven't said the thing that we're being castigated by or if we're being misrepresented, if we're uh, being uh, painted into a, a picture that is very far from the truth, that's a hard thing to bear. The word there, deceitful, if you look at the word speaks about a deceitful tongue, there is a word that means treacherous. It's related to the word, to the word uh, which means to shoot an arrow. And that gives the thought of uh, something that's not only malicious, but vicious. Um, there's sort of that sharpness uh, against it. There's, it's cutting, it's nasty, it's wounding. That's the thought of the uh, word here. This reputation of the psalmist has been wounded by the lies and the vicious and malicious speech that is against him. He's hurt. He's hurt. Slanderous untruths have been heaped uh, by venomous tongues over his head. Now, there's no information about what the untruth is. We don't know exactly what it was. It might have been uttered by the Samaritans or by the heathen nations, or even maybe by some of God's own people, who, uh, the Jews who were spreading slanders and unfounded accusations. But we know that when we face spears and when we face these accusations that are being spread, it's something that is like a hot coal. And he speaks there about the sharp arrows, and he speaks about the smears that are taking place and he has certainly something in mind here that is burning, as it were. There's that thought there. 
And there's certainly that sense in the world in which we live. There is smears and lying against God's people. I read a little bit about Wikipedia. Now, Wikipedia is an online encyclopedia. And there was uh, an article done by by the anti-Christian bias of Wikipedia, and this is what it said. It spoke about an article on the American Family Association and the American Family Research Council, and it called those hate groups um, based on the opinions of the Southern Poverty Law Center on same-sex marriage. So they, because these groups uh, were opposed to uh, unbiblical marriage and uh, they were for traditional marriage, Wikipedia puts them down as hate groups. In the article on extremism, Christians, many Christians, were included in the extremism. They said it is also not common or not uncommon necessarily to define distinctions regarding extremist Christians as opposed to moderate Christians, as in countries such as the United States. So it includes a great many Christians, uh, those that believe the Bible, as extremists. In the arguments on atheism in Wikipedia's um, online uh, encyclopedia, it gives all the arguments for atheism but doesn't point out the drawbacks of atheism in that, for example, atheists give far, far less to charity than Christians do. They doesn't give the, uh, the, um, uh, how Christianity has been fundamental in the development of modern um, science and so on. Doctor uh, or columnist Don Federer said Christians, he's a Jewish Columnist, actually, he said Christians are the only group Hollywood can offend with impunity, the only creed it actually goes out to insult. And we know that that's true. So there is this anti Christian spirit of lying that we have in this day. So here's the psalmist, and he says he's reviled. But then he also indicates that he has resented. Look at verse 5. Woe is me that I sojourn in Meshach, and I dwell in the tents of Kedar. Now he is implying that there is resentment, there's antagonism against him in these places. He's dwelling in these places that are not comfortable to dwell in. He's in a world that's not comfortable. Kedar, or Meshach really, um, is a, a, a group of people, a tribe that lived in what would have been uh, just north of modern Turkey, uh, around the, between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. But they were known to be a very violent people. Kedar were a Bedouin tribe of Arabs. Um, they lived in the Saudi Arabian desert. And he says here that he dwells in a sojourns in Meshach, and I dwell in the tents of Kedar. Now, those two places are about a thousand miles apart. It would have been impossible for him to live in both places at the same time at once. So, really, it's obvious what he's doing here is that he is um, giving a picture. 
these, he's t- p- picking out these two really violent people, these really antagonistic people, and he's saying, this is where I dwell. This is the kind of atmosphere I'm in. Among the people that I dwell in, wherever it was, these people that were militarily strong, and they were swift, they were ruthless people, and he's really indicating the ruthlessness of society in which he lived. Now, here's the psalmist, and he's distressed because he doesn't feel at home. Uh, He can say, like the song writer, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. And how often we feel like that as God's people in this day. We feel alien. We're strangers and pilgrims in this world in which we live. Sometimes and very often we can be treated as enemies. And you can see sometimes uh, that in our own land at the present time, where God's people and those that stand for righteousness and truth, they are the enemies. They are the enemies. And there's this anti-God aggressive uh, stance that has been taken against us in these days. That's what the psalmist is talking about. He is reviled and resented. But then he's also rebuffed. Look at verses 6 and 7. My soul hath long dwelt with him that hateth peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. So this man has sought to be friendly with the enemies. He sought to, uh, he's dwelling here. He feels the pressure. He's trying to, in whatever way he can, be at peace with these people. But when he is uh, uh, seeking to be at peace, he's rebuffed. These people are for war. They are relentless. They never give up. They keep on going. There's always a new agenda. There's always something around the corner that they want more. They're never satisfied. They're always wanting more. And evil's never going to give in. We should never think in this world that evil's going to give in. Evil is relentless. Evil will keep on going. Evil will always want more. And we cannot make peace with evil. And we can see here the psalmist's distress. But then I want you to see the psalmist's deliverance. Look again at verse 1. He says, In my distress I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. Now, the psalms of ascent here start with this call to prayer, as it were. I cried unto the Lord. There is no way that we can meet with God except in the place of prayer. And if we're going to take this journey uh, that brings us to God, we start in prayer. We, we start when we were saved in prayer because we come and confess our sins to God. But here is the psalm, and he focuses upon prayer. What do we do in trouble? What do we do when the world's against us? What do we do when we're in distress? What do we do when... Uh, those that are against us rebuff any thought of peace. Well, we take it to the Lord in prayer. We cry unto the Lord. And Psalm 120 shows us the best way that in trouble we pray. In distress, it says, I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. Now, notice the audience that we have. Thank God we have an audience with God. He says, the Lord heard him. He heard him. And that's a wonderful thing to remember. And we should remember it. And if we're asked, it's something that we will 
confirm and we will say that yes the Lord hears prayer but sometimes I don't know maybe sometimes deep down in our hearts we don't and if 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 God's people really believed that the Lord hears prayer wouldn't our meeting be full tonight see that's just the long and short of it the meeting would be full we have seen God answer prayer in remarkable ways. And there are, but there are other prayers that we're waiting for the answer to. The Lord says that we're to wait upon the Lord. Sometimes we have to wait for the answer. But nevertheless, we need to be reminded at times that the Lord hears us. In John 16, verses 23 and 24, it says, And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask, the Father in my name, he will give it you. He says, Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. He says to these people, you've asked nothing, and therefore you've got nothing. He says, Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. James says, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Let him pray. And the reason is simple, and the reason is remarkable that the Lord hears us. He says, the Lord heard me. In my distress, I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. And really, when you think about it, that's uh, astonishing. God hears every word. God knows our uh, desires as we come to him. The original Hebrew words, unto the Lord there, I cried unto the Lord, in the, uh, in the Hebrew that uh, word unto the Lord there comes first in the sentence. And that is for emphasis. And really the, in the Hebrew, the emphasis is that we cry unto the Lord. It's the Lord that answers our prayer. It's the Lord that comes. And we come in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, pleading the merits of the precious blood. And thank God that if we ask that we will receive that our joy may be full. The word that translated um, distress in verse 1, as we say, is a word that means trouble, uh, anguish, or being confined. There's this sort of thought of being pressed in. But even in this place where he's pressed in, where it seems as if he's confined, it seems as if there's no way out, here's what he does. He cries, unto the Lord. So there's the audience that we have, and this is the wonderful thing, no matter how confined, no matter how pressed in, no matter how trapped we may feel in the midst of our situation, we have an audience with God. But not only do we see the audience we have, but look at the answer we gain. Um, he uh, says that he heard us, but the implication is that he will save that he will meet us at the point of our need he will answer our prayers and he will do it because he's the god of truth these men are men of lies but he says deliver my soul and that speaks of what the lord is able to do for us he delivers us he saves us he saves us from lying lips the word uh, deliver there means to rescue, to snatch away. And the psalmist is surrounded by liars. 
But he says, Lord, bring me out of the midst of it. Have you, and when, when you're lied against, when there is this deceit, we feel, it speaks there of it shooting the arrow, as we said. There is this viciousness, this violence against us. But the Lord is one who owns the cattle on the thousand hills. He is the one who sets up kings and brings kings down. He is able to change the whole situation in which we live. So as the psalmist ascends to meet God, he starts on his knees in the place of prayer. Not only do we see the audience we have and the answer that we gain, but look at the action that will result. Look at verses 3 and 4. He says, um, What shall be given unto thee, or what shall be done unto thee, thou false tongue? Sharp arrows of the mighty with coals of juniper. Now, we said uh, something there about the line there. There is the connotation of that word there of sharp arrows. Now, here is an instance of judgment and kind. You know, you should look for that in the Bible where God judges according to what has been done. They're sending out these sharp arrows of lies, and God says, I'm going to bring sharp arrows to them. We find that many times in the Bible where God speaks about the sharp arrows um, visiting the tongue. In Jeremiah 9 and 8, the tongue is as an arrow shot out. It speaketh deceit. One speaketh peaceably to his neighbor with his mouth, but in his heart he layeth wait. And then in James 3 and 6, their tongue as is as an arrow shot out. It speaketh deceits. So here is this thought in the Bible of deceit being like a, an arrow shot out. But God says, well, here's sharp arrows will come to them. They are going to be visited according to what they have done. They're going to be visited according to what they did. And then it speaks of the coals of juniper. Now, juniper, probably the plant that they're talking about here, juniper is a, a tree that's about um, 12 feet high, and it is a very hard wood, and it is used for charcoal. And when they used it for charcoal, it would have burned for a long time, would have burned with a great heat. And so when he speaks about these burning, he speaks about burning coals will be upon them. Now, that would remind us of hail itself. It would remind us of the heat of hail. And we see how God's judgment is appropriate, but God's judgment is also severe. Man reaps what he sows, but it will be a severe judgment. We think of what it says in Exodus 34 and 7, of God keeping mercy for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children, unto the third and fourth generation. And so there is this so severe punishment. Not only is it severe, but it is sudden. The, the thought of arrows there is this sudden visitation. Here they are, and they seem to be getting away with it, here they are, and they seem to be prospering. People are listening to the lies that they're telling. And then 
suddenly with skill and accuracy, the arrow comes from God and they're knocked down. Comes suddenly. We think of a similar judgment in Psalm 64 in verses 6 and 7. It says, They search out iniquities, they accomplish a diligent search, both the inward thought of every one of them, and the heart is deep, but God shall shoot at them with an arrow suddenly shall they be wounded. So the coals of severity and the arrows of swift judgment are upon them. And my what um, an awful thing this is. Not only is this uh, swift judgment and sudden judgment, but it is, as we say, if we would use the word significant judgment, because we think about the duration of this, it's going to be slow judgment. Because the thought of these coals of juniper is that they burn slowly. It's going to be sudden coming. It's not going to be sudden. And it's not going to be over suddenly or quickly. In Psalm 140 it says, As for the head of those that compass me about, let the mischief of their own lips cover them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire, into the deep pits, that they rise not up again. We recognize that hell is forever. Hell is not going to come to an end. Again, it speaks in Exodus 34 and 7, the face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off remembrance of them from the earth. So here we recognize that though there is distress and though the man of God here feels shut in and trapped, seems as if there's no way out, there is the mighty judgment of God. God is in control here. But one more thing I want you to see, and that is the psalmist desire. Look again at verses 6 and 7. He says, My soul hath long dwelt with, them, with him that heareth peace, I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. So in the midst of the war and the antagonism here, we are in a war against the world and the flesh and the devil in this world. But you notice that the man of God here, he's longing for peace, but he doesn't really seem to find peace. His peace is in God. He's resting in God. He knows that God will have the say at the end of the day. And in that sense, he is at peace. But he is not really finding peace in this world. And as we said, we are pilgrims and strangers in this world in which we live. Now, what is he doing here? He's making his way to a feast of joy. This is what they were doing. This is what we say that they're doing these songs of ascent. were sung every year as they made their way up to the feast of joy. But here they are, and in the midst of the hardships of life, and life is hard, and I'm probably speaking to maybe every one of you, and you know the hardships and the difficulties of life. But the wonderful thing to remember is that there is joy at the end of the journey. There is a feast in the presence of the Lord at the end of the journey. 
And that's what these people were caused to remember. They start off here in distress. They're starting off um, lamenting about the conditions that they're living in. They're lamenting about the world. And you know, sometimes we come to God's house and we come from the things that we've been involved in every day and amongst the people. And maybe we have been assaulted by the um, worldliness that is around us and we uh, come out of that and we come to the house of God and it's in that place that we find the peace and the joy that we, re- that we need. I wonder, do we long for ple- ple- uh, peace? That place where there's no sorrow and no sickness and no more pain and no more parting. Where is that? It's in God's presence. We think of the new heaven and the new earth, and we think of that paradise where we'll have fellowship one with another, but most of all, we're going to have fellowship with our God, and we'll be with him forever and throughout the eons of eternity. Thank God we can pass over this lower scene of strife and darkness and confusion, and we can lift our eyes tonight to that place that is clear and pure and calm. What a wonderful place, a paradise that God has provided for his people. And I hope tonight that you're on the road that leads to the paradise of God. I hope that you remember that you're on the road that leads to the paradise of God. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them all out of them all. And he says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But thank God we're on a road that leads us into the presence of God and into the presence of one who brings joy and peace and no parting and no death. Thank God we can rest in him tonight. And I hope that each one of us are resting in our God. May God write his word upon our hearts for his name's sake. Can I make an announcement first of all before we go on? And that is that the Whitfield College will be taking the meetings on the Lord's Day. And you might think I must have missed that on Sunday. You didn't miss it because it wasn't in my diary. And I just don't remember booking the Whitfield College. But now that we have them, uh, we're going to, ha- we're going to ha- t- take them. It is May, and uh, it is a presbytery stipulation that we have a retiring offering for the Whitfield College in May. Anyway, some of the churches don't take it in May, but it is called the May offering. So uh, there will be a, um, one of our students will be here to preach and another one to testify on Sunday morning and then also on Sunday evening, one of the students to preach and another one to testify. So do make that known. I know it's the Northwest uh, weekend, uh, but uh, do uh, encourage others to come and join with us. You'll enjoy the students as they take part, and we pray for God's blessing upon his word on the Lord's day. So do remember that meeting. Uh, those meetings, and pray, please, for them. Do pray also for the Let the Bible Speak um, television 
programme on the 8th of June, and we will be going along there, so pray for that as well. For the radio work as it continues, uh, let the Bible speak have opened a new shop in Armagh, and that is going on, so please remember that. Remember our missionaries. Um, the missionary conference is going on in Lisbon at the present time. They're having those seminars and a barbecue and whatever on uh, the Saturday. So um, you'd be given a warm word of welcome along to those meetings. But pray and ask the Lord to be with each one of us tonight. Pray for the meetings on the Lord's Day. Pray for the students as they come along and as they join with us on the Lord's Day. And we look for God's mighty blessing upon everything that is done and said. So let's unite together, please, at the throne of grace and prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we do thank Thee for the vision that we have had in Thy Word tonight of this man in his difficulty and his distress, as he says, shut in, uh, as it were, uh, hemmed in. And yet, Lord, we thank Thee that in his uh, condition he was able to cry unto Thee, and Thou dost hear his cry. And our Father, we come to the same God tonight and we're convinced and we are absolutely sure that God hears the cries of his people. And we come to thee, cleanse our hearts, enable us to come with clean hands and with a pure heart. But, O oh God, as we enter into thy presence, pleading the merits of the precious blood, we'd ask thee for thy mighty blessing upon us. Bless in these meetings on the Lord's day. Bless the students as they come to take part. We pray that thy hand would be upon them as they, as they preach and testify and as they take part in the meeting. O oh God, we pray that thou wouldst be with, with them. Remember these students as they come up to their exams. We pray that thy grace and blessing would be upon them, that thou wouldst undertake for them. And bless in the incoming days as uh, students will come out of the college Others, Lord, that are looking for a call, we'd ask that thou wouldst open up doors for them and for the work of God in these days, that thy name might have free course and that it might be glorified. Remember the work of God and be with us in these days. Help us to go forward. Help us to see in advance for thy name's sake and for thy glory. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen.